Welcome to Vallejo's Community Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast on Sunday, September 29th, 2019. The Reverend Wendy Kamori Stager is preaching. Her message is Receiving Hospitality. The New Testament reading is Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 11, and the Old Testament lesson is Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Our New Testament lesson comes from Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 11. Here, a story that Jesus told. When Jesus noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in a word of prayer. God of grace, We come to you in worship this day, longing to hear a word of how you are present with us and in our lives. Speak through the stories of scripture and the stories that I bring, that we might have a deeper insight into your meaning in all of our lives and to be able to respond in greater love and gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. So some of you, uh, you know I just got back from Japan, right? So you asked, when did I get back? So I got back on uh, 7 p.m. on Tuesday night, which really was like Wednesday if you were in Japan because of the 16-hour time change and a day. And between the combination of jet lag and 19 days of waking up and running around another country, um, I came back as an exhausted just pile of mush. Um, and, and I'll admit that today's sermon is less that scriptural exegesis sermon and more storytelling. Um, I'm kind of humbled because I don't want to make this the super boring travelogue. Here are all the pictures that Wendy went to. Um, and it seems kind of arrogant to say, look, I got to go to Japan. But it also seems weird to not share with you the congregation where I serve and I have relationships of where I've been for these three Sundays. Um, and because it was a meaningful trip to me. So bear with me for a Sunday and hear these stories. And we'll get back into our regular patterns and exegetical sermons soon enough. Okay? Deal. So going to Japan, as many of you know, has been a life dream for me. Something on the bucket list. You know the bucket list, the things that you want to do before you kick the bucket, right? (laughs) So one of those things that I have always wanted to do was travel to Japan. 
And Mark and I had been slowly saving up. But you know how challenging that can be? You start to save up and put a little money aside, and then you go, ooh, there was a car repair. Or, oh, I think we need a new refrigerator. Or, oh, the kid needs braces. Um, And so we've been setting things aside, but it was going to be a long, long way. And honestly, Mark and I don't value travel at the same level. He would rather go, let's put a new you know, roof on top of the house. And I'm like, I don't want a new roof. I want to go to Japan. So this trip came as, as a gift. It came as a gift from my mom. As many of you know, my father, Roy Komori, passed away a year ago this September. Uh, he died suddenly and didn't suffer. But even a week after my father's death, my mom, they'd had a trip planned to the Mediterranean. She canceled that trip. And she said, well, maybe we should spend some of your dad's money. Would you like to go to Japan? And I said, no, 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 mom. Right? It's too soon to be thinking about any of that. But when she reoffered two months later, I said, yes. And so um, this comes to me as a gift, a gift that my mom chose to give, a gift that my dad, out of his hard work at Hughes Aircraft Company for years, has left enough that there might be some to share with his family. And I went with two big questions. One, what is Japanese about Japan? And then two, what, what if that Japanese culture is, is in me? So I have to say, question number two, I'm still having a much harder time with. So you're just going to get what I figured out about question number one this morning. What is Japanese about Japan? I mean, yes, I went and I saw lots of sites and temples and castles and gardens, but I was really curious about what are those everyday things that makes Japan Japan? makes it different than the United States. So here are just some things I, I noticed. One, everything is smaller. It's like tiny. You get a teacup and it's like this high. There's no like super size me cup. There's no grande latte. Like every everything is like this. The sake cups are like this. The, the tea cups are like this. You go to get a cup of water. Right, and here, if you go get a water cup, right, it's a big water cup. Here, it's like <laughs> everything was smaller. And the roads are narrower. So we'd go down a road, and it would be like as wide as this. And our guide would say, oh, by the way, that's a two-way street. We're like, really? <laughs> and so then the cars are also smaller and narrower. And so there was almost a sense of they, they look like toy cars to us, right? Americans have big cars, right? So even like the trash truck, it's like <laughs> size, right? the, the fire trucks, the delivery trucks, everything is like narrow and small, and they have like little teeny tiny tires on them. Um, and, and Mark especially. Mark likes looking at trucks and gadgets, and he's like, they're just so cute. <laughs> I want a cute little truck to take home. And I'm thinking, yeah, it would get mowed over here in the United States. Another thing uh, I really noticed is that personal cleanliness and responsibility is a huge value. So first of all, no restaurant will give you a large paper napkin. 
You do get a small square like moist towel to wipe your hands with before you get a meal. But you don't get like a napkin that you would like fluff out and put on your lap. So if you make a mess while you're eating, oh. um, um, well, um, so, so a few days into the trip, not very many days, I bought my own small little towel to have with me, um, and I washed it every night. I just kept it with me in my purse, so I could be like... <laughs> and I asked our guide, we went with a really great uh, tour group, and our guide, and our guide was um, Japanese UK. So he had a Japanese parent and an English parent, and um, has now been living in Japan for you know, eight years, and he's bilingual, and now he married a woman from Japan. So I asked our guide, so what am I supposed to do if I make a mess during a meal? And his simple answer was, well, don't make a mess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and I did, I witnessed this five-year-old boy on the subway. He, he was getting off the subway with his mom, and the subway stops are not very long, and so you just got it. But he, like, ran back because he had left a scrap of paper. I mean, I want to say it was, like, smaller than a hole punch. And he's like, oh, sorry, Mom. And he runs back, and he gets it, and he shoves it in his mom's purse. And I also saw a group of people scrubbing the sidewalk in the high-end um, the high-end shopping street of, of Ginza, like think um, Fifth Avenue, think uh, Union, Union Square, right? And there were, but they weren't janitors. They were like the business suit salespeople of like some high-end store, like Coach or Neiman Marcus, right? And there were 10 of them with their nice shoes and their slacks and their business suits with scrub brushes, Scrubbing the sidewalk at like 9:45 on a on a Monday morning, they were cleaning the sidewalk 10 minutes before opening. But it's not something that you just ask the janitor to do. It's that every single person has a sense of personal responsibility for keeping the place clean, and that means that countrywide the streets were clean. I didn't see a single homeless person when I was there. Um, the stations, the subway stations, nothing smelled bad. In the city and in the countryside, things were always well tended for and well taken care of. It was impressive. I mean, it is a culture-wide phenomenon of personal responsibility. Here's another thing I noticed. We, I, tend, I, I tend to think about Japanese people as being uh, somewhat you know, humble and deferential, but there's, there's a backbone of pride in tradition. And, and most of the time, this looks really good because there are precise and beautiful practices that have been passed on generation to generation. And a lot of times you could see this in restaurants and stores that would do one thing and do that one thing really well. So there would be a store that would only do the bonito flakes for the dashi, or a store that would only do pickled vegetables, or perhaps only one variety of vegetable that was pickled. Or they would only cook one kind of food in that one stall. And 
there's, there's not this attitude of trying to be all things to all people. Instead, it's an attitude of this is the thing that I know how to do, that I contribute, that I do well. And so I'm going to do it that way and take a lot of pride in doing it that way. I have to say that this pride in tradition has a, has a dark side as well because it at times got rather rigid. We heard from our guide how difficult it was for him to negotiate special menus at restaurants um, for Sadie, the picky eater, for me, who, who eats fish, and there's a lot of fish in Japan, um, and there was a, a full vegetarian on the trip. Right? Because the substitution thing or the, what's the slogan, have it your way, right, that we have in the United States, you know, do it your way, that part is not, not done. So very early in our trip, we went to a sushi bar with like the conveyor belt. It was kind of fun. You watch everything go by. They had no idea how to serve rice without fish. So we know that there's rice in the restaurant because the rice comes under the, under the fish, right? But they wouldn't put rice on a plate. They would say, well, you could have the rice, but it comes with the fish on top of it. And I said, but all we want is, is the rice. Well, then what do you want us to do with the fish? <laughs> like, but we just want the rice. And they're just looking at us like, you have got to be kidding. And we had, a, we had a different guide that day, and he was like, I'm going to bat on this one. And he's talking, and, and, and finally, like, she does. She brings out, like, if you get sushi and there's, like, a little molded piece of rice, and then the fish is on top. So she brought out just the two pieces of rice, and she's like, like this? And we're like, yes. And she's going, but then who gets the fish? And we're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Um, I think Sadie ate french fries that day, and that was a much better solution. <laughs> At another uh, hotel that, that was somewhat a westernized hotel, um, Sadie could not get a bowl of rice from the Japanese buffet in the morning because we were scheduled to have a western breakfast. But we know that there's rice. We know there's rice in the hotel, right? There's rice everywhere. But they said, well, if she wanted to have rice, then she would have to have the Japanese-style buffet, and she'd have to sit in a separate room. (laughs) (laughs) Even our guide was completely flummoxed by this. But he also shook his head because he understood it's just the Japanese way. That's just how we do things here. So, I don't know what Sadie ate for breakfast that day. So, um, what else is Japanese about Japan? Certainly, there are the long-standing uh, cultural and religious tradition of Buddhism and Shinto, um, which I have not studied a lot. I mean, I think I took an undergraduate class in Eastern religions. Shinto is the the religion of the land where almost anything can be made holy and special and a shrine dedicated to it. Buddhism, as you know, started in India, but had taken a firm hold in Japan as well. It came from India through China to Japan. My own great-grandmother was Buddhist, and the scent of incense in the temples brought back those memories of being in her house. 
But we learned that the Buddhist and Shinto traditions, they just blend and merge all over the place. So although there are certain things that you go, oh, that's a Shinto tradition, it kind of shows up at a Buddhist shrine, a Buddhist temple too. And that most Japanese say that they would practice both with no conflict. In fact, some people would say they're, well, they're born Shinto and they get married in a Christian church because it might be cheaper, but you always die Buddhist. (laughs) (coughs) We visited so many shrines and Buddhist temples that we felt pretty much templed out by the end of the trip. Um, But I did learn that religion and spirituality is in decline in Japan as much as it is uh, with Buddhism and Shinto as well as Christianity because I visited and confirmed with the Christian churches and the pastors that I was there who were lamenting aging congregations, struggling with declining membership. Sound familiar? Yeah. And even with this decrease in religious practice, many Japanese will still go to a temple or a shrine to seek good luck and good fortune. It's seen as part of the nation's culture rather than an individual belief or strongly held faith. It's just what you, it's like what you do, right? You go and you seek good fortune, you go on the holidays. The last thing I want to talk about what's Japanese about Japan is the politeness and the hierarchy. I think that's in part why, you know, Four weeks ago, when I picked this scripture, I was thinking about places of honor and ranking. So we learned that very much it was like the emperor and then the the sort of the warlords and then the shogun underneath them and then the merchants. And so there's a lot of um, hierarchy in all structured throughout Japanese society. And so it matters who's of higher rank. It matters in houses where the more special places are. So you, get, you take off your shoes before you get in the house, but then there are special places just for the bathroom. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, it took me a long time to get that one. I'm not sure I got that one by the end of the trip. And that this this hierarchy also shows up in levels of politeness. I did not know that saying thank you could be so complicated. In Japanese, you know, thank you would be domo arigato gozaimasu. But sometimes it's domo arigato. But sometimes it's arigato gozaimasu. And sometimes it's simply domo. And sometimes it's simply arigato. And then in Kyoto, they have a different dialect, so it was okini. And Japan is a very polite culture. So when you say thank you and you bow, you don't just say it once. It's not just like thanks. It's like, oh, thank you. Oh, oh, thank you so, oh, no, 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 thank you. (laughs) Um, and, And shown as those signs of appreciation. Our guide tried to express some of the nuances between the domo and the domo arigato, but basically it comes down to the level of relationship, the level of formality, and who's thanking whom in terms of who's of higher ranking and who's of lower ranking. Given that we were foreigners, our thank yous were accepted even if we were a bit informal and we totally messed with the hierarchy because we didn't know where we fit. But there is something about receiving hospitality. 
and being on a trip where other people are feeding you and other people are hosting you in their inns and bed and breakfasts and uh, somebody else is translating for you or even just trying to make a purchase that, that takes some, it takes a lot of help <laughs> even just to figure out like how much is this and how, what are all the coins that I'm trying to figure out and, and they would say, oh, here, and I just put out my coins and they'd be like, okay, this one, this one, this one, this one, and this one, is that okay? I'm like, yes. Thank you. Just just take those. Um, um, that, that traveling is a little humbling in that way. So I did find myself saying, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for all your troubles. And, and, um, and even if I didn't know the difference, I was making my best effort to try to acknowledge. And I would err on the side of greater thank you. Right? Domo arigato gozaimasu. And certainly would say it more than once. But to not let that repetition of thank you, thank you again, thank you, to lose its intentionality. For indeed, that, that thing about Japan is there's that whole culture of politeness and gratitude. And it has some beauty to it. There's even that politeness and gratitude when you're driving. That if you come to an intersection and you're not sure who got there first, the intuition is to say, no, 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 you. How different is that in the United States? Where you're like, hi, right? Right? That there is a sense of deferring to somebody else. And we're going to share. We're going to share the road. And so it's a piece of Japan that I want to bring home with me and certainly wanted to share with you. It goes across cultures, this concept of being grateful. And so it's a day where I say, Domo arigato gozaimasu for my mother's gift. I say, Arigato gozaimasu for my dad's life. I say, Domo arigato gozaimasu for the church leaders and the staff who kept things going here while I was gone and the privilege to be able to go. I say domo arigato gozaimasu for the experience for some really good Japanese food. Domo arigato gozaimasu for the chance to be home again and to sleep in my own bed, to have a napkin, and, and to have people who can accommodate special diets without looking at me like my head just came off. And I say domo arigato gozaimasu to God, who is indeed God of the whole world, for whom we can have these kind of adventures. And I encourage us all to walk through the world with a spirit of thankfulness. Thanks be to God. And the people say, Amen. You have been listening to Community Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Community Presbyterian Church and its ministries, Come visit us at 2800 Georgia Street in Vallejo, California, or visit our website, cpcvallejo.org. You can also email us at cpcvallejo at sbcglobal.net. Have a blessed day.